we've been doing a mini-series on obeying and trusting God alone and not bowing the knee to any other. And we've seen over the course of the various series different ones who took a stand and refused to bow the knee or to stop praying or to do whatever, uh, stop witnessing whatever they were told by authorities not to do, they continued to do because God had instructed them to do so. And then we took a look at times when no one necessarily tells you what to do or not to do. That's kind of left to you. And the question is, what do we do? And we've taken a look at doing things God's way. We've also taken a look at making a decision. Because a lot of people like to either go back and forth between following God and not following God or doing these types of things. Um, so we've come to this place in, in, in the series where last time we took a look at doing it God's way. Well, what is God's way? God's way is to do his will. And it's interesting that we are instructed when disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray because John had taught his disciples to pray. And they said, would you teach us? And so what we call, unfortunately, the Lord's Prayer is the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer comes much later in the Gospel of John when Jesus prays his high priestly prayer. But I want to start off this thing about doing God's will with this very first verse uh, in, that's found in Matthew chapter 10. And it says this, God is, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And a part of that, it says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are told as part of our prayer life to seek God's will. Now I find it a little interesting because a lot of times when we pray for things, we feel like they're totally out of our control. That's why we're praying. A lot of times we try to fix something, and then after it isn't fixed or made worse, then we say, God, put it back together because I broke it. Well, God is telling us to pray for his will, but if you will, we are to do his will. So there is that sense of while we pray that his will be done on earth, which is far beyond our capacity, we should at least participate in doing his will when it comes to our life. And so we're to do that. Now, I also know that there are many books written on doing God's will and what is God's will. And people have made a lot of money on what that is. And if you're listening to me by here or through our various social ministries, I'm going to save you a lot of money. Now, I'm going to save you money not like my wife saves us money. My wife will go shopping, and she'll come and bring home a dress that she's bought on sale for 50% off, and she'll try it on, and it's a beautiful dress. And I'll say, it's a wonderful dress. And she goes, yeah, I saved $100. And I go, I don't know if we can afford to save any more money. Now, what I'm going to do here is you don't have to spend anything for this, you're going to get to save money because you're not going to have to buy another book. I'm not selling any books. 
maybe that's a problem. Maybe if I write some books, people look at me as the guy who knows what he's talking about, and then you might pay attention. But this is, what is the will of God in your life? So you don't have to go out and invest in all these books that will tell you what the God, will of God is in your life and what your purpose. So I'm not going to go quote these scriptures because you know them well enough, so I'm not going to have you look them up and stuff. But when it comes to the Old Testament, there are some 630 plus commands in it. Jesus said you can boil that down to two. The first one, the supreme one is, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. We are told to do that because if we do that, we'll avoid a lot of things that we're not supposed to do, like worship other gods or create golden images or do all these other things because our love for God keeps us loyal and faithful to him. And we love him because he first loved us. So one of the things that God's will is for us in our lives is to simply love him. The second thing he told us is that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Jesus said on those two commands rests all of the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets. So we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as I tell you frequently, that is a high bar for me because I love me a lot. I think I'm wonderful. I think I'm brilliant. I think I'm funny. I think I'm good looking. I think a lot of things about me. I like me so much. I love me so much. I take me wherever I go. Okay? So that's a high bar. But we are told that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then there are those who try to get around it by saying, well, who's my neighbor? And whatever. You fail in that exercise. So those are the two that covers the Old Testament. Well, Jesus gives us specifically three during his ministry. One of those we read at the beginning of the service is that we are to believe on him so that we might have eternal life. That God so loved the world that he gave Jesus that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was recorded, Jesus' conversation to Nicodemus through the Gospel of John. Peter will later write in a letter that says that it is not God's will or desire or wish that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And so part of what God's will is, is that we believe in Jesus. The second thing that Jesus taught us as a commandment, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you and have given myself for you. So part of God's will for our lives is that we love the fellow believers the way Jesus did. It's not we love each other the way we love ourselves. No, we love it far beyond that. We love each other as the way Jesus loved a far higher commitment than loving you as I love me. And the third thing that Jesus has commanded us to do that's part of his will is that we are to be his witnesses. 
We are to create and make disciples, teaching them everything that he's commanded us and to baptize them. And he said in that whole endeavor that he will be with us, he will never leave us. But we are told that we shall be. Shall is a command. If something is optional, you may do something. But when it says you shall do something, then it is command. So we have two Old Testament commands, three New Testament commands that we are told as a part of God's will and something that you don't have to pay $29.95 for because it's throughout the scriptures. I'm having a little trouble. But uh, there are some other additional things that it is God's will for us to do. And so this is where you're going to get this savings. And so in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with verse 3, it says this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, sanctification means a process of making someone holy. God's will for our lives is for us to be holy. This is not something that God has done recently. When the people of God left their enslavement in Egypt and went to Mount Sinai to meet with God, it was God's plan for his people to be a holy people, a royal priesthood. But they didn't want to go. Peter will also tell us God hasn't changed his plan. Just because we're a stiff-necked and difficult people doesn't mean God changes his will. And Peter tells us that it is his desire and his goal for us and his will for us to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood a people after God's own heart. That's what's God's will for us. And if you will, if you look in Revelation, the quote-unquote end of the book, it says that we are in fact a holy nation, a royal priesthood. So it is God's desire for us to become holy, to be sanctified. We don't do this by not doing or not doing, but by following the will of God. And so it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of those, of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So that he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So it is God's will for us to be sanctified, and as a part of that, is to maintain, if you will, sexual purity, both in our commitments after marriage, 
because we are supposed to represent the church. And that's what kind of Christian marriage is part of, is that we show the world that Christ is the head of the church and that we follow it and that we commit ourselves to one another, that we love one another as Christ loved the church. And there's that picture. So in marriage, there is that sanctification, that setting apart. But it also says prior to marriage, so that you might not defraud your brother. Well, what is he saying there? Basically saying there is that if you have sexual relations before marriage and you don't marry, the person who marries that other person, you've defrauded because you've taken away something from him or her that they can never get back their purity. which is not loving one another as Christ loved us, nor even loving each other as neighbors. So God's desire for us, his will for us, is to be sanctified. And a part of that is sexual purity, and a part of that is being separated and apart. It's not being a part of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are to be sanctified. We are to be holy. We are to be separated. And God is a God of separation. You go, huh. Starting out in Genesis, God separates the day and the dark from the light. He separates the earth from the waters. He's separating all the time. He is showing that he is a God of sanctification, of setting apart of holiness. And part of what he did is when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, it was again setting them apart for holiness. God is a sanctifier and his will for us is to be sanctified. And Jesus not only saves us and justifies us, he sanctifies us so that one day we'll be glorified. So God's will for us is sanctified. He has another will for us that comes in three things, and I'm going to read all three of them and come back and deal with each one. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. So there's three additional things. We've got the two commandments in the Old Testament. We have the three commands of Jesus. We just talked about sanctification. Now there's three more things that are God's will for us. And so we'll go back to rejoice always. Two words. And yet no one seems to want to do it. Because we're saying, well, the scripture says, rejoice always. Well, pastor, you don't know what I just was told this week. Either I have a physical death sentence or my finances is such that I'm losing everything. How is it that you expect me to rejoice when these terrible things happen? Because no matter what, whether you've been told by a doctor that you have only a limited time to live, nothing will separate you from the love of God. You can rejoice that not even the greatest opposition that comes in your life will separate you from the love of God. 
And on top of that, whether you lose this body or your house or whatever it is, God is making and preparing a dwelling place for you in his house. And he is preparing a brand new body that won't be subject to pain and suffering and illness and sickness and despair. We can rejoice always regardless of the circumstances because of what God has promised, because what God is doing. So we should rejoice always, not sometimes, not when it's, things are happening good or we're hoping it'll happen. Okay, it is God's will for you. Let's rejoice always. The second thing he tells us as in, that is his will, that we are to pray without ceasing. Now, some of us have a difficulty with this because we think, well, well, if I'm driving down the street or the freeway, how can I pray? Well, some of you ought to be praying while you're driving. Because I certainly am when I'm seeing you, okay? But it doesn't mean you have to close your eyes. There is a sense that we are supposed to be in constant communication with God. But you can understand ceasing a little different. It's not necessarily that you have to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, although I highly encourage it and I recommend it to me. I don't do it, okay, but it's a great goal. But pray without ceasing means don't stop. A lot of times we pray for something and because it doesn't happen instantaneously, we give up. We cease. Lord, move the mountain. He didn't move the mountain. Okay, I guess I'll just stop praying about moving the mountain. Maybe you say, Lord, move the mountain. Lord, move the mountain. Lord, move the mountain. You're not moving the mountain, Lord. Maybe give me strength to climb the mountain or find a way around the mountain or stay here until you move the mountain, but I'm going to keep praying that you move the mountain or tell me what to do because I have a mountain in front of me. You don't stop praying because you don't get an answer right away. Or maybe it's when you're praying, move the mountain, God's saying, stop being a valley. Maybe you need to rise above it. It's amazing what God can communicate to us if we continue praying and talking to him and then letting him respond to us rather than giving him his orders and then saying, in Jesus' name, amen. We communicate. We pray without stopping. We pray regardless of whether we're discouraged or whether we receive it or whether... I, I use this passage because it, it's a wonderful passage. Paul, when he's praying that God would eliminate this thorn in his flesh, flesh he goes, I prayed three times. I'm going, oh, there have been things in my life I prayed more than three times and then but it's like, I'm used to getting God responding. He goes, I prayed three times, but God did respond. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. He only stopped praying that prayer after God gave him better advice. We are to rejoice always, whether we feel like it or not. 
We're to not stop praying. And as Daniel did, even when they tell you not to, we still do it anyway. Because that's God's will for our life, to pray without ceasing. And the third thing here we find in this passage is in everything. Let me emphasize this. In everything. Not some things, not the good things, not the wonderful things. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We are told to be a grateful people. People think that they're entitled to That life is fair. That everybody loves me. We are to be grateful. We, even parents, try to teach their children to be grateful. So how do we start that? By telling them to say thank you. Now, we start out by telling them to say thank you. We don't, unless they go, thank you. We don't necessarily look into their heart. We're getting them to exercise that courtesy that we're hoping that as they exercise that thankfulness with their voice, that it will happen in the inside in their heart. But you can tell when a person is grateful and when a person is just courteous. But it is God's will for us to be thankful in everything. Because as I shared before, nothing separates us from the love of God. So it doesn't matter what happens. We can say, God, I thank you that this terrible thing that's happening in my life will not separate me from your love. I thank you that I will, by your grace and by your power, Continue my walk with you because your word says that you dwell in me. We're also told not only that will nothing separate us from the love of God, we're also told that God will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good. As a matter of fact, most things aren't. But we can give thanks because we're saying, God, you're taking this thing that is tearing me apart. And somehow, I have no clue how because I'm not God and I'm not seeing it. But you're going to make it for my good. Even if it's for my good is that I am going to be more like you. More like him. His will is for us. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. Now, passing on to another is in Hebrews. For you see, we have this tendency to when things are doing great, 
we follow his when when blessings are falling from the sky we are rejoicing we are thankful we are praying without ceasing when stuff seems a little more difficult it says this in hebrews chapter 10 for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of god you may receive what was Now, fortunately, he's not saying you have need of patience. He says you have need of endurance. Endurance is dealing with circumstances. Patience is dealing with people. But we do have a need for endurance because sometimes we just don't feel rejoicing. We just don't want to pray. We just don't want to be thankful. I just want to take my ball and go home. I don't like you anymore. So having done the will of God, you may receive the reward. How? How tragic. Having partially done the will of God and giving up. Then when we see our master say, but you made it by the skin of your teeth because you believed in me. But I so wanted to reward you. So wanted to say, well done, my good and faithful. But you just gave up. Yeah, you're saved. Yeah, you're living in heaven. But you could be living in the Malibu portion of heaven. Have need of endurance. Do the will of God. Keep doing the will. No matter what the sin. And I would include this in Psalm chapter 40. Psalm 40 verse 8. It says, I delight to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. How is it that we do the will of God? Do we do the will of God in our sanctification and gripe and complain about it? Or do we say, God, you, you're doing this for my own good, so I will follow you and do your will. I am going to rejoice always. And I'm going to light in doing it, not because I'm forced to, but because I love you. And I know that your will is in my best interest. That I am going to pray without ceasing, because in doing so, I can see your hand in at work throughout the world, as opposed to wondering where you are. That I can be grateful in all things, in everything, because of who you are and what you've done. And by your grace, I receive all of your blessings and all of your promises and all of your good, not because I deserve it, as a matter of fact, I don't. But because of your grace, you have done so to me and for me. In sports, there are coaches who will yell at you 
and parents and, and, and athletes oftentimes get discouraged when the coach yells at them. And I try to tell the kids, don't be exacerbated by they're yelling at you. When they stop it, they've given up. Your God will never give up on you. But the other thing is, as an athlete, what a coach wants is a coachable athlete to make you better and better. Yeah, I, I ran the route you're supposed to, you told me to do, as opposed to, coach, can I do it better? Can I get on the same page with my quarterback or my receiver, whoever it is, that you're coaching and you're doing it? And to say, in essence, which no athlete really likes, I love practice because it makes me better. And say, God, I want to delight in doing your will. If you, if you want me to run it out, I want to do it with perfection. I want to delight in doing it. I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy the process, not just the destination. We're all saying, when we all get to heaven, which is wonderful, and I'm looking forward to the day, and may it come as soon as possible. When my wife and I go on vacation and we drive, we have a little difference of opinion. I like to get there. So I take the interstate and I'm zooming down and she's like, look at all the towns that we missed because we're zooming down the highway. That's kind of like what we do in life. We're just zooming down the highway as opposed to saying, God, let me enjoy the journey. Not because the journey is necessarily wonderful, but because I'm walking with you. And I, and I can't think of a better thing to do, whether it's in the desert or in the forest or in the valley, on the mountaintop, wherever is being in God's presence is where you ought to be. Doing his will, delighting in his will, enduring in his will. So I've given you two Old Testaments Three New Testament commands of Jesus and four wills of God. Sanctification, rejoicing, um, praying without ceasing, and, and everything give thanks. And you say, well, Pastor, that can't be all of God's will. Here's the deal. Do that. Do those things. And then maybe you can go on to graduate study. But it's been my experience in my life and the lives of people I've seen. These four plus the two plus the three will take us the rest of our lives to do those. Do those. Delight in doing it. Because he is an awesome, wonderful God. He loves you. Because as we started the service, God loved you so much 
that he sent Jesus to die for you. If he did that for you, would he withhold any good? Am I saying, but, but God, the world tells me if I, if I do these other things that I'll enjoy it. Those are paths through the strife. Follow my will. Not because I'm telling you to, but because it's best for you. And all God's people say.